Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Ansham at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Shalachacha. Does the way we present ourselves make a difference? Have you ever walked into a room and felt like people were looking at you negatively? People were kind of judging you? And you had no basis for that except that it's just what you thought in the moment. <laughs> yeah, like every frat party I ever went to in college. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I was not a member of any of these frats. So A, I felt like I was crashing. B, I never felt like I could have belonged to any of those frats because I wasn't cool enough. I didn't have the right clothes. I wasn't good looking enough. It's amazing that I, I even went in the first place. Uh, but um, yeah, I, that's how I, I can remember that feeling, not just in, in that situation, but in lots of situations. Right. It's, I think people call it the imposter syndrome. Right. Uh, the kind of like, you know, I shouldn't be here. If they really knew me, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't want to have me here. You know, I wouldn't join a country club that would have me as a member. That kind of thinking. Right. Well, it actually, the or the the first time in, in the Bible that that's recorded is at a seminal moment. The children of Israel are standing on the precipice of the Promised Land. All of the promises that were made along the line, beginning with Abraham were now coming true, that the God had taken them out of Egypt, and they these people had marched through the desert, and they were now on the precipice of this new land, and they were actually embracing their destiny. And in this moment, they have a change of heart. Twelve spies go down to scout out the land of Canaan, and they all come back, all twelve of them, and two of them say, let's go do it, let's have faith in God, and it's going to be challenging, but we're going to go do it. We can do it. And 10 of them say, well, the land is everything that was described. It really does feel like it's flowing with milk and honey. But the people are gigantic. And then they have this amazing thing that they say. They say, we look like grasshoppers to ourselves. And so we must have looked in their eyes. And so they are. they have no basis for understanding, since the, the, ostensibly the other people didn't even see them. They were scouting out the land. They were at you know secret vantage points. So they were projecting on the enemy perceptions of who they were and what their prowess or lack thereof was. And what that ultimately does is it, place, it, it, it creates a panic amongst the people. Not only do they choose not to go, they rebel against Moses, and they even start heading back to Egypt. So those kinds of faceless fears of what we can and can't accomplish, those are really powerful, and they're really difficult, and they have real consequences. I think the point here is that it's internalized, and I guess the question I have is, you know, what we can do as parents, as friends, as spouses to help people avoid that pitfall. I know that I, I think about this a lot as, you know, father of girls. I see it more with girls than with boys, I hate to say. I feel like they, they apologize more than boys, you know. Um, they're apologizing before they even have anything to say, you know. Um, and I really try to urge them that, you know, you don't have to start the conversation by apologizing for starting the conversation. There's a tendency there to be afraid that you're going to be um, reprimanded or that you're going to make a mistake. And, and how do we, you know, overcome that urge to, to apologize or to, to act like a grasshopper, I guess? Especially in our society, when people are putting out photographs all the time. And so images are being shared all the time. And people are hypercritical 
all the time, right? You step out of line and you could be attacked by your peers, by others in some really horrific ways. So people have become more reticent to put themselves out there. And I also think that we are constantly looking at ourselves and judging ourselves. Well, I'm not that guy or... You know, I, I just don't come across that way. Or I walk into the room and what do they see when they look at me? We bring our fears and we sort of wear them on our sleeves. And we ultimately, so often or maybe too often, sabotage ourselves. Yeah, no question. No question about it. That's what I was doing at all those rat parties, I suppose, right? The way we present ourselves, you know, really makes a big difference. And find a it's difficult to know the, the line there between, you know, wanting to be humble and wanting to walk with my head up. And that's not necessarily with, you know, with a swagger, but at least with my head up and my shoulders back, right? Like, how do you find that, that balance in presenting yourself? I think that's the right question. How do we do that? What are the tools that we need in order to not only present ourselves in a confident way, not with, not maybe not necessarily with swagger or which may be perceived as arrogance, but a sense of quiet confidence of I know who I am, I know what I'm about, and I'm here, and I want to be part of this, and that I'm going to choose to think that you're going to see the best in me and not the worst in me. Because, you know, in the story of Moses and the children of Israel, this fear of how others are perceiving you and is so profound that the people panic, and they're ultimately going to end up being punished by wandering in the desert for nearly 40 more years as a new generation rises up, that generation that has that kind of confidence. And what the irony is that Joshua, one of the spies that stands strong with faith and says, we can go into the land, 40 years later, they go to reconnoiter the land again. They, they search it out. And he meets a woman by the name of Rachav, who's a Canaanite. We were terrified when we saw that you were coming here. We had heard that the God of Israel had visited these plagues on Egypt. We had heard that the sea had split. We had heard of the battles that God stood strong with you. We were shaking. And so it was the exact opposite of what these 10 spies thought. The people who were really thought they were like grasshoppers were the, were the others, right? And so this is the irony that we, if we don't test out, if we don't come across and presenting the best of ourselves and believing that we are worthy, chances are that we're going to kind of set, suffer in some ways uh, the same fate as the Israelites and sort of sabotage ourselves. Uh, there's no question that you know these this inhibition has consequences, and you may never know what the consequences were by, by failing to take action. When I speak to young writers in classes in college and high school, um, I always tell them the number one piece of advice I have for you as a writer is to give yourself permission. So write that at the top of your notebook, write it, you know, tape it onto your computer screen. You have permission to be a writer. If you want to be a writer, you don't need anyone else's permission but your own. Don't wait for the publishing world to anoint you. Don't wait for um, some college professor to say you have talent. Give yourself permission and start writing because it's, if you don't, you're guaranteed a failure. Well, I think that, you know, your answer, that's the answer to your question, what we should say to our children, right? Give yourself permission to, to believe that other people are going to see you in a positive light and that you're worthy of that. And for those who choose not to, then also understand that that doesn't change who you are. Those perceptions don't. It, it can hurt, but they don't have to change who you are. 
I, I think we can even shift this conversation to the Jewish people. You know, Jews in the diaspora have often been very much afraid of the host culture because we have a whole history of, of persecution and exile. And so how we think we are being perceived makes a huge difference in how we act, right? We don't want to kind of come across as being too much anything. But what's interesting about the self-perception of American Jews is that it changed with the rise of the state of Israel. And after 67, when Israel had uh, won the Six-Day War, the Jewish perception of confidence, this sense of self, changed. And so on the one hand, we want to be humble as people, and we want to be self-reflective. On the other hand, we're not going to be the people that we can be. We're not going to make the difference that we can make unless we have the confidence as a people to present ourselves, not as we think other people will accept us in a way that other people will accept us, but rather who we are and what and that what we have is something of value that I think makes a huge difference also in Jewish self-perception, if you will. If you're a grasshopper, be, be proud of being a grasshopper. But if you're not a grasshopper, be sure you know the difference. <laughs> I'll just end with a quotation um, by Dr. Erica Brown, who we've had it on Shamit, which says something along the same line. She writes, why not go with a more encouraging perception? Maybe when others believe that we are strong and beautiful and talented, we will train ourselves to hear them. And maybe, just maybe, when someone else feel, feels small and disempowered, we can help them find their inner giant. On that note, thank you, Jonathan. 